the Gentleman Ultras podcast. I'm your host, Richard Hall. As always, I am very privileged today to be joined by both Emmett Gates and Luca Hodges-Ramon. We're talking Inter, and we're talking... <laughs> we're comparing the demises of Inter, which will certainly um, entertain my two co-hosts here. Um, but we need, it's very topical, and I wanted to compare it to another situation um, 10 years ago. So... You know, what we're looking at today is to look at, obviously, Inter, we know this potential at the time of recording where Lukaku looks like he might be the second player after Hakimi to leave Inter. Um, and we also saw this after Inter was successful in 2010, where in a different way, um, mistakes were made and, and Inter went through 10 years of a well, very difficult 10 years. So what we're trying to do today is get some context of whether, you know, this situation is worse in 2010. Um, br- briefly, to compare the two, to give people a bit of background who don't know. Um, in 2010, it was quite simple. Inter's treble uh, was the end of a situation. And, um, uh, they won, they'd won the Champions League, they won Serie A, they won the Coppa Italia. And Massimo Baratti uh, thought that this team was ready to go on and continue to dominate um, Italian football. And when you look at Marco Branca and his folly, in a sense, you know you had the likes of... Esteban Cabiasso, Kivu, Cordoba, Lucio, Forlan, Maicon, Cesar, Stankovic, Milito, Orlandini, and Walter Samuel and Zanetti, who were all over 30, and this was never going to happen. We'll talk about that more and, and the mistakes that were made there. And then we have this season's Inter. Uh, you know, obviously, we saw, saw the Sunin group, who had a lot of money, and the project was very clear. Inter wins Serie A with Antonio Conte. Uh, they were ready to spend the money. But then the pandemic hits, and Suning were hit very hard, their share price went through the floor, Uh, they had to get a loan from the Chinese government and at the same time the Chinese government because of the pandemic decided to ask, uh, well (laughs) decided to ask, decided to tell a lot of these uh, Chinese firms that they had to bring their investments back into their own country, rendering Suning almost, uh, well they had their hands tied behind the back. So Inter needed some money to actually bridge uh, the gap to be able to take part in the competitions and so they got an interest loan, uh, bridging loan should we say, with credit card interest rates (laughs) like you'd get in probably 2002, uh, which are absolutely phenomenally ridiculous. And so there's a problem. And so now Inter are in a situation where irrespective of the loan, they potentially need to sell the club, um, but also they need to make up this money. And so we've seen what the guys, I think Luca predicted some time ago, was a fire sale. Um, So, gentlemen, I want to start this just with a quote that um, was on the Curva Nord in 2012, actually, two years after uh, what was seen to be the demise of Inter, when it said, we asked where the strong man is in the boardroom and nothing. We asked for clarity and nothing. There are only two possibilities, two conclusions, dear president, absence or incompetence. Now, Emmett, I'll start with you. Um, the, yes, they are two different situations. Um, that banner does it does it hold true in in this case um maybe to an extent but i feel that inter and sunning are just a victim of circumstance due to the pandemic you know it's obviously it's it's been an issue for a lot of teams and obviously a lot of businesses around the world all you know away from football and you know who, who could have who could have foreseen a pandemic coming and crippling a lot of businesses and a lot of economies around the world. So it's more for Inter this time around, I think it's more of 
the situation is out of the club's hands as opposed to 2010 when just a lot of bad mistakes were made. That that was incompetence. What's going on now, you can't really label that at Inter, I don't think. Um, maybe you could label it a Conte for buying um, about 16 right, right and left wing-backs at 55 years old and give them big wages. But aside from that, I think Inter, and at this point, you can't really say incompetence. It isn't a word you would label or throw it into this time around. I'm going to just play devil's advocate here because, and Luke, I'll send this one to you because I think that makes a really good point. And when you look at 2010, you know, Maratti got caught up with that situation. But when you knew that Jose Mourinho was going, the respect he had for the players, the ages of the players I just mentioned, uh, both scenarios, the lack of youth coming through, um, that was poor foresight and maybe... Uh, looking through rose tinted glasses at a situation that was obviously not existing. This one, in a sense, you know, yeah, uh, rightly as Emmett says, you know, you can't help the situation from the pandemic and everything else. Um, but the once they get that bridging loan and they know the interest on there, and Beppe Marotta has said, listen, we need 80 to 100 million net in player sales. We also need 15 to 20% wage bill reductions. Um, they knew they knew this was coming when they took the bridging loan. At the time they had the bridging loan, they got offers from the Far East and uh, Middle East, sorry, of around eight hundred million for the club, and said no, we, we value it at a billion. Um, is it the way they've handled it since? I mean, Emmett's right. You, you're the victim of the pandemic, but have they handled it wrong since they knew their fate in a sense? Yeah, I think I think you've. You've hit on an important point there, Richard. I think it is the handling of the situation as a whole. I would say the difference, as, as you both um, touched upon just there, the difference between the two situations is I think back in 2010 there was a resistance to change um, due to a lot of nostalgia and and it actually what many people look back on, it, it came from a good place from Marathi, but simply... Um, things needed to change in terms of as you said the players the old guard making way for a new for a new kind of group of players but also the way in which Inter moved forward and did things and I think Suning were taking it in that new direction and and obviously in a positive direction with the investment that they had made the players that they'd recruited barring as Emmett said uh, Conte's 55 wing backs (laughs) all over the age of 35 but um I mean, you know, everyone knows Conte the way he likes to play, and and that was almost he identified that I need experience in that position and and depth in that position to ensure that we've got the kind of durability to not fall short as we did um, the season before last when they they were they lost out to Juventus. But to go back to the point, sorry, I think there has been a you know this this bold ambitious project um, headed up by Sunning two try and affect change within Inter and to try and bring Inter back to the fore of both Italian and European football. Unfortunately, obviously, obviously, as you said, that the situation with the pandemic and then the laws passed down by the Chinese government and this kind of bid to, to try and bring back or nationalise, I guess, funds and bring them back into, into China rather than being invested abroad has put um, Inter in a predicament and the ownership into a predicament, but it's been that lack of communication and transparency I guess since as, as you said Richard everyone saw this coming everyone knew that Inter were going to have to cut their cloth 
or sell the club, find a buyer. And, and as you said, the various investment groups that they were speaking to, they couldn't find, they couldn't meet on evaluation. So at that point, I think what Inter fans feel aggrieved by is the fact that, you know, the first was, there was the saga with Conte, is he staying, is he going? No one's really um, coming out in terms of the hierarchy, the hierarchy of the club and, and voicing what the issues are. Um, and, I, and I guess the, the departure of Conte was just the beginning, really, because I think once Conte had gone, there was always going to be a risk that not only had Inter set their stall out in terms of we're not willing to... We obviously haven't committed the kind of money that Conte wants um, to go and spend again and, and probably make an assault on, on the Champions League, but also in terms of Conte's own contract, it sent the wrong message out in terms of probably what the club's ambitions were for the summer. Then obviously you've got the sale of Hakimi, which Inter fans could have probably bared through gritted teeth had you then undoubtedly best player on and off the field in terms of in terms of both as a in terms of scoring goals and impact that Lukaku has as as said he has best striker but also off the field in terms of his PR and marketing and, and kind of star status in the world game um, and I think uh, you know if you if you contrast it to say what's happened in this country in the UK with Jack Grealish and Man City where Christian Perslow at Aston Villa mm came out and spoke very openly about the reasons for which Aston Villa was selling Jack Grealish, their, their kind of prize asset, um, the chief executive at Aston Villa, and saying, look, we, the, the release clause was met, a valuation that we felt we couldn't turn down, and if, and if we couldn't turn that down, it would be up to Jack, who, Jack Grealish, who, who decided that he wants to play Champions League football. I think fans can swallow that because they understand the thought process behind it. I don't think Inter fans clear also when you mentioned about when these debts needed to be paid off um, is the timeline from what I've understood is actually in to have in terms of making that net sales up to 1900 million they have till the end of not this season or oh, sorry the beginning yeah. of next season is it uh, Correct, which is yeah. kind of the next which transfer window so so again it's a bit I think there's a bit of confusion and, and also despondence about how quickly things have suddenly changed from going to being Scudetto winners yeah. to we're, we're, we're selling our best players and essentially accepting that qualifying for the Champions League next season would be would be a major achievement. It's that's That whole issue with the 2022, um, I, I have an issue with. I personally, if you're talking from a fan perspective, you know, like you said, it was palatable. With Hakimi, you know, you think it's easier to replace a right wing back, however good he is. Than it is to replace one of them, you know, Lataro or uh, Lukaku, and uh, again, communication is is key to this. But for me, when I when I look at that, you can think, okay, I understand why Conte went. I have no problems with that either. I think a lot of people can understand he's there to win and to win now, and he didn't believe in the project. He wanted to. He's <laughs> he always wants to spend, and that's absolutely fine. It's his way of uh, going about what he go. You know, his management style. So there's no issues there, and you know, Simone Inzaghi comes in and. You start thinking, well, you know what? Maybe this is a more long-term project. This is probably what didn't happen in 2010 when Rafa Benitez came in and just tried to manage the same group of uh, geriatrics, and which was a disastrous season. Um, and you know, you look at it and think, well, no, okay, maybe it, I've spoke to him. I've flying about this. Probably won't defend the title, but you at least think you're going to be up there with that group of players. 
And so this now, when Suning look like they're trying to obviously get this uh, for Lukaku and maybe other players as well, because this turns the head of the likes of the Vrai, which we've heard about Barella, Lotaro, you know, they're going to think they don't believe in the project. So this is my question to Emmett to you. With this situation, if they defend to do sell Lukaku, from a business point of view, it makes no sense to me because you're either trying to find investment. They need something. have got no choice. They need to sell or they need to find investment in their product, and which is what it is, and that's how they see it. And I used this term the other, the other day because it's, uh, it, was, it was referred to to me, was you, you're selling a Lamborghini without an engine if you sell Lukaku. You know, it's... It, it decreases the value of the club if you're selling its main assets. It decreases the value of the club if you don't make Champions League next year. So I'm confused from a business point of view. I mean, I'm interested in what you think of from what Suning are thinking about, you know, okay, if they raise that amount of sales that they don't have to do to the next season, are they looking just to sell the players, get the money, clear the loan and, and sell? Because if they wouldn't accept an offer from the Middle East of 800 million, what, what's the situation now? Yeah, I think now that if that same 800 million euro offer came around a second time, they would jump at the chance, <laughs> given <laughs> given what's yeah. transpired in the months since. Yeah, I mean, it is a head-scratcher. On, as, as Luca and yourself alluded to, Inter don't have to start paying back the debt, what, for another year? Mm. And I think Sunning, or from what I've understood, the Zhang family have basically seen Chelsea's offer of 100 million euros cash and just went, take it, accept it. Not really thinking that, well, hold on, we're selling our best player, we're damaging the value of the club by letting our best player go. And no matter who Inter bring in at this point, they aren't going to be as good as Lukaku. Not A, what he brings on the pitch, but what he also brings off the pitch. So, as you say, it's driving a Lamborghini or owning a Lamborghini without the engine. You know, what What have you got, really, in essence? So, I think the Sunning, the Zhang family are essentially just seeing Euro signs and seeing this astronomical figure from Chelsea and saying, right, we'll take it. But not really thinking two steps down the road, thinking, well, if we lose Lukaku, we might not... Yeah, well, you're probably not going to regain the title anyway. But, you know, as Lucas said, Champions League football, finishing fourth, probably, if he goes, would be a very positive season at this point. So you think, is the value of the club going to go up or down? Of course it's going to go down. It's not going to go up. And they're not going to get anywhere close to the billion that they were asking, what, five, six months ago. They'd be lucky now, if Lukaku does go, they'd be lucky to maybe to get... 600 million at the current rate so it's 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 hard to understand the logic from sunning i don't i really don't understand what 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 their what the end game is i i it mm. baffles me to tell you the truth it's, that, so, that is I mean, what seems short-sighted about it isn't it i mean yeah is if they're it's almost as though as you say richard they're they're scrambling and desperate to almost fulfill this debt early which would suggest that they're then planning to keep the club because they then have a kind of vested interest in in, in instead of selling it because if they were as you said Emmett, if they 
had their hearts set on still selling the club, you want to keep your best assets to ensure you get the best price possible and then relinquish that responsibility to the acquisitioners, the people who will take on those assets and then look to move the club forward. But selling them, well, yeah, as you said, it seems like they've, they've decided that the, the interest, the offer is too good to turn down but what they would then do next because you can imagine the absolute outrage if they then just sell the club a few months later and they've sold it's, they've sold off all of Inter's best players yeah it's well, I mean I can understand it in one way if that bridging loan has got the interest rates that it apparently has um, I was talking to Charlie Stelzano the other day and he was saying that he'd been out in Milan he was saying it's absolutely absolutely obscene the, the the interest rates on that loan so yeah they want to clear that as quickly as possible but and uh, that maybe they see a way to do that reinvest um well the rumors are it's only gonna be about 40 million i mean we don't know what's going what they will do um you know you, you can potentially see their logic in it but i don't know i just think it's um it's a strange i can understand them wanted to do that but when you look at it and think okay realistically They've got the money from Hakimi. They, I know they're struggling to, to move some of the players there. But what worries me is that there's this communication because Beppe Marotta, oh, quite a few of the, the guys on the board of directors and obviously Simone Inzaghi, you know, have been absolutely blindsided by this because there's been so many reports in all the Italian media outlets of how disappointed and shocked they were. And it was only... A couple of weeks ago, Lukaku saying how happy he is here, how he wants to stay. Beppe Marotta saying that he's a key part of the chessboard for Inzaghi. You know, that's going to be an issue as well because it's the ramifications here. Uh, you know, Beppe Marotta hasn't got the project he wants. Simone Inzaghi's not got the squad he wants. The fans are going to be annoyed, which I'm sure is the last of their worries. Um, but I just don't know really. I could even, like I said before, I could see where Inter were going with the Hakimi sale and Simone Inzaghi. Because there are a lot of good youth players that can come through as well. I was actually quite excited about that. But now, it just seems, like you say, directionless. I mean, I mean, okay, question to you both. I mean, there was a Gazetta's late report yesterday said that Suninga were trying to, uh, you know, hold him back again, realising and assessing what was going on and reflecting on this and potentially going to turn the transfer, the, the offer down. Do you think he's gone or do you think that could actually happen that they, they turn it down? Any, to any of you? I, I go on a minute. Sorry, look I know I from what I can gather, Lukaku isn't gonna force a move. He's happy if he stays, he's happy to go. I think there's not gonna be much kickback from the player himself. I mean also I, re- I read on Gazetta before we came on the podcast that Chelsea are about to raise offered 120 million euro which is still mm. not what Inter want Inter want 130 they don't want Marcus Alonso Zabacosta uh, whoever else Chelsea Emerson Palmieri whoever else Chelsea deem worthy enough to include in the deal Sonin want 130 million and they will reject everything else but in terms of Lukaku I'd say he's probably happy either way. I can't I can't see him forcing a sale, you know, and he could just be as happy to stay. So do you think Sonny will accept it if it came in at 130? I think they will. Unless unless as kind of as Lucas said, they are prepared to keep hold of the club for the long term and they're fearing a severe backlash from the 
the the inter fan base. Then they might, out of fear, reject the offer. But I'd say, speaking purely on a financial level, they're dying to accept it. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think I think the problem is now is you you've kind of opened Pandora's box um, by essentially engaging clearly they've engaged Chelsea in talks Lukaku's agent Pastor Federico Pastorello is very well connected at Chelsea he obviously was the agent of Antonio Conte when he brought him into Chelsea when he then took him back to Inter and obviously orchestrated the move for Lukaku and I know that he also looks after Emerson I believe at Chelsea so I know that it's certainly Lukaku will have a very good idea of the kind of personal terms Chelsea can offer him, the package. And I think now you've opened that Pandora's box and Lukaku's seen is probably starting to question the direction of the club now because we know how much Lukaku wanted to go to Inter play under Antonio Conte, win Serie A. He's always been a big admirer of Italian football and I think he genuinely felt with Antonio Conte at the helm, the squad that they were building, they had a genuine chance of then mounting an assault on, on the Champions League if not next year the year after with with Conte and, and the kind of plans he wanted to implement <laughs> well they were never wow. going to win the Champions League with Conte there <laughs> well yeah yeah. That, the group stage of a year yeah and ironically I can say that they would have got the deal done by now if Conte was there because he would have taken he would have snapped Chelsea's hands off for Zappa Costa Marcus Alonso <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so, true um, so um, don't even I need the cash just give me all your wing backs <laughs> everyone you got exactly so um so it's I think the problem now is Lukaku's probably questioning the direction of the club and what happens next because let's be honest one of the big one of the big trophies that Lukaku certainly will want to add to his CV to establish himself as as one of the best all-time forwards in European football or one of the best European forwards certainly at the moment is is the Champions League um, and and being a kind of key key part of a winning side so I think it's I think that the all the indicators now would suggest that he is bound for an exit unless there is a kind of drastic change in strategy and um and the the noise is being made certainly from from Suning and Steven Zhang because you know a lot of the criticism has been directed explicitly at Steven Zhang um from from the inter supporters because I, I know they they came out very strongly when when there were rumours that Conte was going to leave, um, and they've. I know, obviously, you read out that that quote from the banner back in two thousand twelve. But we've seen already messages by the by the Curva Nord, um, basically, yeah, suggesting more or less that the same, the same along the same lines of um, keep your promises. Be very careful, like be careful yeah. what decisions you make next, because. Um, this is these decisions will have serious ramifications into next season and and beyond. And again, I think we'll see the dynamic of 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 the ultras trying to to demonstrate the power that they have um, within a club. Um, certainly, I would expect demonstration. I know there's, for example, only going to be thirty three percent capacity next season. But if, if Lukaku goes, if another one or two players follow, expect to see empty stands in the court of Anord, I would say. It's, it's a good, it's a nice seamless link for me there actually because I think you've both sort of made it very clear of the sort of 
difficult situation or enter in right now. And I just want to go back if that's okay to sort of 2010 and after the treble, just as a bit of a comparison, because we can see that with the current situation, it's as Emmett mentioned before, you know, this has been brought on by the pandemic, but obviously, as we've talked about, it's the mismanagement of that and those decisions that they will make in these next 48 hours that could really have detrimental uh, a detrimental effect on the club and and back in 2010 um, obviously you know Mourinho is Maserati and the uh, sorry Maserati and they're both crying and it's all gone and he's got on to Madrid and the next season you know I remember being in San Siro in November and even then against Brescia and it's 20 odd thousand and it was just diabolical and that was that fell off a cliff and so I think here, you know, when you look, even the season after, you know, you've had Gasparini as coach, then they moved to Ranieri, and then Stramaccioni comes in, and you're thinking, okay, it's difficult. And some of the, you know, this is when you get the, the signings of people like Yuto Yuto Nagatomo. God, that man. Um, I didn't <laughs> mind they, Nagatomo, to be honest. Oh, it was definitely stand. worse entertainings of that period. Though that's true, but do you remember Luke Castillo? Uh, what was his name? Lucas Diagnos, the Dutch guy, the next yeah. next Van Basten that was awful. Ricky Alvarez, Jonathan. <laughs> Alvarez, yeah, Jonathan. Mauro Zarati. So they went on this thing where. Yeah, there's so many, yeah. And then you end up with that infamous game against Carabag, where apart from Acardi, you've got like the likes of Ruben Botter, uh, like I said, Jonathan. Oh, God, just an awful, awful team. So that. Marati then, in my opinion, anyway didn't have them he did have the money but it was at the back end of it when football was being overtaken by you know the middle east and, uh, and other american owners and it and even in me saying this you know with the situation you've entered to milan around the time i think inter were a product of circumstance then when they won the treble because of you know just where the other clubs were um, and yeah okay the champions league was was fantastic at that point then how would for you how would Marassi have managed that situation better because do you think he was a victim of not realising just what finance that he couldn't compete at that level for long term because of the financial implications of that um, and do you think that then he could have rebuilt the club because the what, I'm, the what I'm going to allude to here later on is his decisions now ruin Inter for almost 10 years well I think you're kind of letting Marathi off the hook a little bit to me interest problems post 2010 is all of his making on the clubs obviously as Luca kind of said earlier and you said Richard Marathi was always a man that led with his heart and never his head like if you think of the average age of that inter side when they won the treble you know you'd Lucio Walter Samuel Javier Zanetti uh, Maicon um, Thiago Mata, Stankovic, we're all pushing, you know, 30, early 30s. And I remember specifically Real Madrid making a 30 million euro offer for Maicon, who was 29 at that point, and Marathi turned it down. And I think he, they also came back again for Melito, who was 29, 30. And again, it was turned down. And it got to a point then where Inter actually sold Balotelli who was one of the younger players of the squad, you know, sold him to Man City for like 24, 25 million. But you had Philippe, a young Philippe Coutinho coming through. And to me, Inter 
what 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 the great Juve side of the mid nineties did, like Juve won the Champions League final in ninety six, sold Ravanelli, sold Viali, brought in a young Christian Vieri, Alan Baxic, sold Paolo Sousa, brought in a young Zinedine Zidane. Inter should have literally followed the Juve template of the mid nineties, right? Mike on did a brilliant job. Off you go, Melito, thirty goals, brilliant. Off you go. Reinvest that money and ban younger players in their early 20s. But Inter and Marathi hung on to those players for way too long. It was kind of what, it was, it was exactly the same what Berlusconi did with the last Milan side that won the Champions League in 2007. So that summer, I think he ends up giving like four, five, six players of that uh, Champions League winning side like five year contracts or four year contracts. And they're already pushing like 29 30 at that point. So you had like Ambrosini, Pippo and Zaghi all playing to like 2012. If you remember, Seedorf, Nesta and Zaghi, all their contracts ended at the same time because they were all extended in the summer that Milan won the Champions League. And again, that set Milan back on the course that they are now because they had all these aging players that they couldn't get rid of. So to me, Moratti should have followed more what Juve did in the 90s as opposed to what Berlusconi did with Milan in the late noughties. To me, what Inter, what happened in Inter in 2010 was all their own making. It w- obviously, as you said, it was getting to a point, there was a tipping point where Moratti, who was once seen as like a real wealthy benefactor, was almost small fry now compared to PSG and Man City and Abramovich and Chelsea. But he could have handled that situation a whole lot better. So, so Luca, I think what Evan says spot on there. Um, but there's a point in that 2012 season where uh, Inter win the Next Gen Series. Do you remember the Next Gen Series? And um, they've got this really good youth team. And so they bring in Stramaccioni to sort of bring some of these players through. But obviously, he was only about 15 years old when he t- made him coach. <laughs> and there was a lot, and there was too many experienced players in the dressing room. Um, it, it was it was the wrong way around. It was like if they'd have done what Emmett said and got rid of a lot of those players, brought in a young maybe potential coach like Stramaccioni, where he did have more influence, used those next gen players and had some sort of plan. Then yes, potentially that could have benefited Inter. Uh, but is it not? It's it's. I want to blame Inter here, but I look and I think, well, what other clubs were doing that at that time? It's Italian football, isn't it, that just doesn't do that? Or am I wrong? Apart from a few, like you say, then I mean, you're, you know, you Juventus team at the time, you know, okay, Atalanta do things their certain way. There's a few teams now are doing it more, but at the time, I wouldn't say there was a lot of players, uh, sorry, a lot of clubs really forward thinking and, and planning for the next ten years. No, it's funny because Richard, you actually you took the words right out of my mouth. But I was <laughs> going to say exactly that. That really that that era and Moratti's decision making, and, and as Emmett said. Berlusconi's decision making at the time with Milan was just representative of Italian football's malaise and, and decline in general. Was that the like you said the traditional wealthy Italian benefactors who had who with all with all like credit where credits due in the sense of what they achieved in the in the noughties and and making Italian football bringing Italian football to the pinnacle with their investment essentially became I think as one of you said small fry compared to the the new the new money the nouveau riche if you like um, that we're investing in in other areas in other in other leagues um, across Europe and Italian football just didn't 
was resistant to change, I guess, didn't, whether that be due to nostalgia, national pride, um, hubris, kind of a bit of lingering arrogance from, from the success that Italian clubs had previously had. Um, there was just a, a resistance to look at how do we evolve alongside, you know, obviously, and, and we bulk at it sometimes in terms of how people lord the Premier League, but how the Premier League has, has moved beyond the other the other the other divisions in in Europe in terms of from a commercial point of view and the TV rights, um, and so yes, to what to an extent, like you you can't compensate for for wealthy investors in terms of what we've seen at PSG and Man City. Um, there's been nothing that compares in Italy in terms of um, in terms of that level of of investment in in one singular club but certainly as Emmett pointed out Juventus were the only ones who really probably and and again Juventus had to have um, have a moment well more than a moment of crisis um, to I guess have that that period of self-reflection and and change within within the hierarchy and the structure there in terms of the Agnelli family um, and how they wanted to move forward, and now everyone talks about Juventus as, as the as the example of 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 an Italian club who who has become modernised, who own their own stadium, who've who've tried to, I guess, fight against this um, reluctance to commercialise um, the clubs as brands, um, and and seek new fan bases across the world, and seek new investment, and speak, seek new sponsorship opportunities. Um, and don't get me wrong, we all get it because we're all nostalgics here and we all love Italian football during the 90s and the culture of, of Italian fandom and the good sides of, of what that brings. But at the same time, you know, clubs like Inter and Milan have suffered massively as a consequence. And we felt that they would probably, definitely Inter and, and even Milan in terms of what they achieved last season, we're just starting to come out of the other end of this and actually starting to to um, to head off in the right direction and, and start a new chapter, which was, was very exciting. I mean, me and Richard have discussed it pl plenty, as Emmett will know off the pod, of the fact that the Milan clubs were, were not back, well, into certainly winning the Scudetto, but certainly were, were moving in the right direction, competing at the highest level again, obviously Milan being back in the Champions League, making interesting investments in players, um, but it will be interesting now because I think that this, this, by the way, could have a detrimental effect for Serie A in general. Because I was looking at it thinking, you know what, this Inter side could certainly compete with Juventus over the next five to ten years and compete in Europe as well. And as a consequence, I think that will, that will help Milan um, move forward and compete. And I think that will help other Italian sides we've seen. Atalanta have long been overachieving and, and how long they can they can continue that for no one really knows but I think the fact that Inter you know Serie A's best club last season are having to sell their best players or are in this financial predicament is probably bad omens for the rest of the health the, the health of Serie A in general um, in terms of moving forward I think <clears throat> makes sense I think you know <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't want to get into the arguments of the conversations about, I know me and Emmett talked about this today for quite some time, 
about for City to be successful, it needs the government, it needs the league itself, it needs a complete reform, but that's not going to happen. So when, you know, the Italian clubs sometimes do punch above the weight and do manage to do that off their own backs, uh, Juventus obviously with the model they had into, you know, ironically what you were saying before, the one the one um, company investment ownership that could have probably spent the money in, in years to come would have been something without this. So that's uh, frustrating that that hasn't happened. Um, but I mean, I can understand why it would be detrimental to Italian football because it sends a wrong message you know people were starting to look at Inter and thinking wow you know this is a really really good club playing decent football and yeah like you go from strength to strength but it's I suppose my point really is that where I mean and this is to, to both of you but I'll go to them at first and this is sort of the key question of this we talked about both Inters in 2010 and 2021 and it got really bad for Inter after Maratti and then when he sold the club and the investment and the way that Juventus just completely steamrolled the league and uh, Inter were messing around in the Europa League and it's taken a long journey of many different well, different ownership groups. Eric Tahir, of course, came and left. Um, again, no real strategic planning, no real vision um, until it seemed recently. Um, and that was 10 years. How bad do you think the situation is for Inter? Do you think Inter will spare, and, and this is an honest question, Not this is not what you want, this is what you th- think might happen, but um, you know, do you think that it will be another 10 years in sort of purgatory, if you would, for Inter? Or do you think that it, it could be something where they can weather the storm, even if Lukaku goes? I know that's a bit of an open-ended question, it's a difficult question because nobody knows what's going to happen with Suning. But I'm just I'm just curious. I mean, Emmett, what's what's your thoughts? I it pains me to say this, and obviously, you know, in all we joke, you know, me and Richard and Luca, we joke around and take the piss out of Inter, and rightly so sometimes. But I, I looking at the situation as it is today, right now, I think bleak times are ahead for Inter because I mean, Xi Jinping has basically told Sunning. You know, the Chinese government has bought 23% of Sunning. So Sunning, mm-hmm. more or less, all tense purposes, are controlled by the Chinese state. And Xi Jinping has basically told Sunning, turn off the tops to all outside investment. So basically, Inter are in a state now where they're going to have to be self-run. And as all three of us in this room know, Italian teams don't earn anywhere near enough in club revenue to compete with the very best in Europe. So if Inter are having to become self-sufficient and basically spend what you earn, Inter are in for bleak times. I think even if Lukaku stays, if he goes, whatever the case may be, if Sonning cannot put any money into Inter, I, you're looking, you could, maybe not as bleak as, you know, getting beat by Hapoel Beersheva in the Europa League, <laughs> but... I do think Inter will struggle. And I don't say that, you know, being smug because a good, a healthy Inter and a healthy Milan is a healthy Serie A, in my opinion. But I can't see... Like, if Sonny are going to keep control of the club, I don't see how Inter get out of this situation. Obviously, as we've talked about before, they want to build a stadium. 
but the Milanese government just keep putting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in their path. And at this rate of going, it could be an hour 50 years before a new San Siro was built and the crucial revenue that goes with it. No, completely. Uh, it, that's my worry and that's why I asked the question. I mean, Luca, what's your thoughts? No, yeah, I'd love to be the bringer of good tidings <laughs> and a more positive outlook on things. But certainly the way things are going at the moment, and you can only really, as, as you said, Richard, we don't have a crystal ball and you can only really judge the situation of what you're hearing coming out of Inter, the, the, the disgruntlement of the fans already with the current situation, the sale of Hakimi, Conte going, Lukaku now coming out and saying, I would be open to leaving now, having heard this news and obviously had conversations behind closed doors with the club hierarchy, Marotta and obviously Inzaghi said, was making very positive noises about the conversation that he'd had with Lukaku two weeks ago. Mm. Something's obviously changed. Um, and I think unless you get a situation in which we do see uh, a takeover of the style of you know, Qatar Sports Investments in, in PSG or the City Football Group in terms of, you know, Sheikh Mansour and, and, and the Abu Dhabi ruling family taking over an Italian club like Inter. I don't see how that the, there is no quick fix to the sit to the predicament or to the to the struggles that the Sun, that Suning and, and Inter as a club as an institution currently find themselves in because you're talking about a huge amount of money that not only needs to be that not that is not only required to fulfill Inter's obligations financially but also them to ensure that they make the required investments to keep Inter going on the path that they're now going because it's not only keeping Lukaku and convincing him that this is the place to, to stay and, and renew but it's then as you, you said as a consequence Richard keeping the other players and strengthening that squad because that squad we saw mm. last season isn't good enough to compete on two fronts at the highest level on the cha in terms of the Champions League and Serie A if anything getting knocked out of the Champions League was a blessing for Antonio Conte and, and Inter's Scudetto challenge so it's if Inter want to get to the next level so, so we're talking about at the moment almost just surviving but that could never this is the problem almost we're talking about for clubs like Milan and Inter, surviving should not be the aim. It's got to be thriving and getting back to the top tier of Europe. And they're still a long way off that, even more than ever now in terms of not where it looked like they were headed in the right direction, as I said last season. But now, if you take if you, if, if everything we've just discussed, it looks further than ever for Inter. And, and like I said, um, I think as a consequence... Milan, albeit Milan still the project seems to be headed in the right direction just on a much slower trajectory I would say um, because you know Milan still haven't made an investment of the kind in terms of bringing a Lukaku in a real big star player who could take the club to the next to the next level and I don't see that investment coming anytime soon by the way but maybe a more sustainable approach will do will will prove to be beneficial for Milan over Inter in the long run only time will tell I think that's the worry I think that you know I like I said before at the start of this this the sale of Hakimi wasn't an issue you understood it you thought you know if they can get a few more players off the books 
uh, especially because it's till 2022 there's time uh, especially to blood some of the young players um, that, that we've got in the Primavera which is you know some really good young players there and I think now like we said flash sales as you guys mentioned before it does feel like that and it's, it's where does it end and how bad will it get and I think do you think and this is to both of you again that is it just simply a matter of communication because I know that clubs in general are quite poor with this but from a point of view that you know if Suning had made it clear that they were wanting to sell the club and therefore they needed to recoup the money early and they wanted to get out it would be you know I'm not saying that people in the know will know that it's not about that. It's not about obviously, you know, the major investment companies will already, already be talking and that will be out in the market anyway. But it's just for the clarity more of the fans and understanding um, so people can understand what the motivations are. Um, just as much if, if Suning had said, listen, you know, we need to. I mean, Beppe Marotta I thought was quite good. And that's that's a scary thing because he was quite clear about that 80, 100 million net and the 15, 20% of the wage bill. Uh, and yet the, the noise was coming out, keeping Lukaku, keeping Martinez, you know, don't need to do that. Um, the, the communication, it seems, within Inter is not even there, never mind them having a joint message out to, to the public. Because um, I think that's what's really floored me out of it, you know, with Beppe Marotti and just explained about Conte, I was fine with that, explained about Hakimi, okay, no problems, you understand the situation. And if they'd have said, listen, you know, we're looking to clear these debts in 2022, we're going to be looking for investment, but Suning still want to keep a portion of the club. I think most Inter fans are happy with that. But it's the mixed messages from the club, well, no messages from Suning, that you that makes it worse. If that's Does that make sense? Do you think that's the main problem is communication? Or do you think that the, the situation itself, or do you think that these companies like Suning just have no, well, they've no responsibility to communicate that to the fans because it's... It's not really. It's not massively important to them. Are we Emmett, Emmett, you yeah, I was, was going to let Emmett jump in. But. Are you go first, Luca? Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on. I think it's the, the lack of communication that's really that's really caused the issue with, especially with the fans. Uh, I mean. You know when you, you've got such and we know we know the culture in Italy we know how powerful fan groups are and, and the ultras and the, the fact that they want to have um, a proactive role within the club not necessarily in the decision-making albeit we've seen that in the past but certainly to be up to date and, and have things explained to them because they feel like they need to be the ones who protect the best interests of the club um, and at the moment I guess well it's pretty clear that Sunning are very much, as you said, Richard, thinking of how do we get ourselves out of this mess, to be honest, and what's the quickest way of doing that rather than what's best for Inter as an institution and a football club um, and what's best for the fans in terms of ensuring that the promises that were made um, and the strategy that they embarked upon is maintained. Uh, so, yeah, I would say you're exactly right and that's why you've got you've got the fans feeling the need to come out and make statements and put banners up because this wouldn't be happening if there was well it could be happening if the communication wasn't what they wanted to hear but at <laughs> least if it was clear that this was this is what these are the decisions that are being that are being taken this is why and whether you like it or not this is the direction we're now heading in 
Um, and that direction is we, we may have to sell Lukaku if we get a bid of 130 million euros. That, yeah. that at least clears the picture for everyone. Don't get me wrong, 95% of fans won't like it. But then, as you said, in Richard can, you know, and, and the, the most hardcore and diehard of Inter fans will go, will look at it philosophically and say, does this give space to a Esposito or Pinamonti or someone to come mm. through who we can really see as the next bandiera of the club? Yes, it could take longer. Yes, it might mean we don't win the Scudetto next season. Yes, it might mean that we get knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League again. But I think for Italian fans, it's not necessarily, well, we know it's not necessarily about being the most successful, albeit Inter, Milan, Juve have become accustomed to doing exactly that. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. What's your thoughts, Emmett? Well, I think what Luca touched upon there, I think that is the thing, is that obviously the lack of communication is a big thing. And if Inter took the approach that Aston Villa did with, uh, you know, Bappi Morata posted a video, explain, you know, five-minute video saying this is the situation we are to do xyz to ensure um the financial stability of the club but i think it's also then what exasperates the issue is that when you see inter being linked with duvan zapata and um, Zacco, uh joaquin carrera why not just keep the money and put your th- mm. your trust in pinamonte and esposito to see if they flourish and thrive at inter in, instead point, of yeah. splashing money on like let's face it mediocre players like none of them are close to Lukaku yeah. you could put all three together and the, you know Zacco yes is a good player but even Zacco's 35 that is not the route that you want to go down so why not put your trust in youth and give Peter Monte and Esposito a chance massively I've been banging that drum sorry for a just while. to jump in Rich. yeah yeah that, that that sorry is just I think it brings us back nicely to what your original point was Richard is almost is this these worrying signs of 2010 between 2010 and 13 14 15 all over again because the signings of Zapata, Zeko, Correa screams mm. of that era yeah. of just plugging gaps desperately plugging gaps just trying to keep the club tied over season by season without any long-term strategy of the direction in which they're going yeah, Massey, I mean, don't get me wrong. If they turn around and sell Lukaku and then, you know, bid 60 million for Vlajevic, you, you could almost think that's palatable because he's young and there's a lot of potential there. And if they started to look then at young players, it would be, and still bring through the youth and you've got Simone and Zaghi. You know, you start getting rid of the Vidal and, you know, Neanderland and just, I can totally understand that and that'd be fine. As a guy in pre-season, Satriano scored like, I think, nine goals in five pre-season games against rubbish opposition, I'll give you that. <laughs> but again, you know, it's like, it, there were so many of them there. I mean, I know Esposito's alone at bar, but I think he could be brought back after six months. You know, you can, there's so many players there that are good. Um, Guami's an excellent player. And you, you're looking at these, t- they're at the time when they could move up and start, you know, for me, like, you both rightly say there's, there's players there who can be moved out. If, you know, Aguami, if you go into midfield and you get rid of Vidal, the, the wages you're saving. And, and fans would like that to actually see products of the Primavera come through. And it would feel as though, I think you mentioned it before, Luca, that the project would be a longer term one. And it would, but it'd be palatable because you could think, okay, these players are going to grow, they're going to grow in value. Um, you know, and you'd see something 
at the end of it. Um, but Emma, you're right. You're completely right with that. When you, you talk about Zapata, it's just like Carrera. It's it's it just is disappointing. It's, it's very. Um, it's if cast your mind back to the summer of two thousand and two, when Inter sell Ronaldo, the original and the best Ronaldo to Real Madrid on the last day of the transfer window. Inter went and signed Hernan Crespo, which you know, Crespo. As much as I love him, he's not Ronaldo. But Inter fans could still kind of stomach it. Okay, right, mm. we've sold Ronaldo, but we've got Crespo, proven yeah. goal scorer, and you know we still save some money. But then fast forward a year later, you sell Crespo to Chelsea and you sign Julio Cruz. Like to me, that is similar to this situation. If you sell Lukaku and you bring in Jacko or Z- Zapata, it's not a like. It's they're the same characteristics, but they're Jacko's nowhere near as good as Lukaku. Cruz was nowhere near as good as Crespo. So it's Inter's repeating themselves over and over and over again. It's crazy, isn't it? You can change coach, you can change the ownership, and still the club makes the same mistakes for decades. It's it's like having that Lamborghini selling the engine and then replacing it with a one point one engine. <laughs> it's just it's pointless. It's just pointless. But well, another another comparison another comparison <laughs> worth making too is the echoes between Conte and Mourinho mm. in that both constructed these teams to win here and now and then basically both of them walked mm. away and let Inter burn. Like, Mourinho signed Lucio, uh, Samuel Atu, Thiago Mata. I mean, Samuel mm. Atu was like, what, 28 when Inter signed him and you could have got easily another two or three seasons out of him. What a deal that was. Yeah, completely. Like, Inter got the better of that deal by far. But the likes of Lucio and um, Thiago Mata were kind of pushing, what, 29, 30, 31. Mm. And then, obviously, Mourinho walked away. And, well, to be fair to Mourinho, it wasn't his fault that Moratti decided to keep all the elder statesmen of that winning team. But with Conte, Conte signed Vidal and Kolarov last summer when the pandemic had already started. So you can't say Conte signed those players two years ago. How did he know a pandemic was going to happen? He he signed those players knowing that Inter had no resale value on both of them. And Vidal arrived on decent wages, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then he just walks away and let Inter burn with all these players. that And that's an issue because from all reports, Inter have struggled to offload many of the aging players, which has now put them in a situation where they have to sell A, Latro Martinez or Lukaku or Defray. So Conte definitely holds some responsibility in this, in my opinion. You need to sell Lukaku just to pay Conte's wages. Okay, well, last little point. Sorry, go on, Luca, sorry. No, it's, uh, that, that, that comparison, especially in terms of Conte, the, the knock-on effect that's had in, in him walking away. Um, mm. And also on, on Lukaku, because we all knew the relationship that Conte had with Lukaku and how much Lukaku wanted to play under Conte and felt that Conte had improved him as a player. So I've no doubt that even though Lukaku made positive noises when Inzaghi came in, that in the back of his mind, he is thinking, is this going to be the same without Conte? So, yeah, I mean, Conte very much, as yes, he'll talk about, he, he feels like he was sold short and promises were broken and he's not going to get the investment he needs to keep progressing the club. 
But on the other side, Conte had very much left the club uh, in the lurch as well um, in terms of how, the, the way in which he left. And, and as Emmett said, some of the, the legacy that he left in terms of some of the players. So, But as I was going to say earlier, Richard, it's Pazza Interamala, isn't it? Storia Infinita. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they bring the song back now. Any different. Yeah, well, they've got to, haven't they? <laughs> they've got to, it's only right. But I'm not, I was going to ask you for predictions for next season, where, but it's impossible to do it because, you know, in the next 48 hours, Lukaku could bizarrely stay and it all looks fairly reasonably rosy. And, or, you know, by the time the transfer window's finished, there's literally just colour of and Vidal left. So it's, 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 not, it's not really an easy one well let me, let, me, let me put it to you Richard as it stands here and now if Lukaku goes where do Inter finish for you I'll answer that I've got another quote that I had from 2012 and this is a little boy called Filippo this is true and he uh, used to stand on the uh, Tribuna uh, what's it Arincio and he goes on that quote, let me just find it. There it is. So you had this little banner, and it said, "Inter, can you win? Otherwise, I'll make fun of me at school." I remember Thanks, this. <laughs> yeah, and they've ended up bringing him into sport room. I kind of feel like that at the moment. <laughs> I just think it's going to be what I, I'm worried. I mean, I, I, I'm repeating myself. I thought I was okay with Hakimi. I thought maybe it's, I, I'm really looking forward to Simone Inzaghi. I thought it was going to be future proofing. Um, I know he's had to use these youth players pre-season because of the Euros and players not being there, but I still felt like there was a real camaraderie around the team and understanding, um, you know, his relationship. The way as Luca mentioned before, he you know, spoke not just to Lukaku but all the players. Everyone knew what was wanted, um, and I was okay with not thinking about winning the title next season. Um, but if Lukaku goes, and you know, as I said, I'll be desperately hoping that someone like Vlaevic comes in. But all the Rumours are that 40 million or 30 million. I, I'd even be underwhelmed with Belotti. You know, you, you're wanting, for me, I want a project, something that you, you know, that they're going to embark on. Even if it's a, even if the worst case scenario happens, like you mentioned, Emmett, before, and you've got to be self sufficient, so be it. But have a model, have a strategy and stick by it so the fans can see what they're trying to do, the players believe in it, because that's the only way. I've only seen that a couple of times at Inter, and every single time that's happened, they've won a title. But the rest of the time has either been just bizarre spending from Marathi when, you know, we've just been buying nice shiny forwards and forgetting about the defence. Or the last 10 years, which have been very, very dark. So, yeah, it's not looking good in my eyes at the moment. But uh, would you would think, you, would you you see, and I'll open this up to you, you too, Luca, would you see Inter finishing in the top four if Lukaku goes? I, I, I'll, I'll answer that. I do still see them finishing in the top four. If they if if it stops at Lukaku, as long as they keep Barella, Lautura, mm. uh, Bastoni, uh, De Vrij, Skriniar, I mean they've got still a very good core there that they can work around and, and still um, one of the most you know competitive squads in Serie A. Um, but then you know you had the Mourinho effect at Roma. Who knows what Spalletti's going to do at Napoli? That's going to be, sh- that's going to be yeah. an absolute disaster. <laughs> that could go either of two ways: utter brilliance or a complete catastrophe, as you said. I'm going to gamble on that one. Just sorry, I know we're talking about Inter, but that for me is going to be—he's going to create this really good squad, and it's going to well, from the money he's actually been given, which is nothing, 
And I think he'll get that squad playing really, really well. They'll look to be doing fantastic. And then he will, as if he's not going to fall out with De Laurentiis, and he'll be gone by Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's pretty as, as accurate as a prediction could get, probably. Um, yeah, so I, yes, I think they. I think they will still finish top four if Lukaku goes. But the sale, the fire sale, has to stop there. <laughs> if anyone else goes, yeah, I mean they're looking, looking um, down the precipice of a very depressing season potentially. It could, yeah, it could get to a point where the three of us will be playing for Inter next year. <laughs> I said to you before, Emmett, they signed Alex Cordas. Um, he's only three years younger than me, so I might get a game. <laughs> there, there's hope for Rich. There's hope. <laughs> there's hope. Yeah, <laughs> I just a massive flash fire cell. I'll just turn up. Just, <laughs> but uh, well, I wish it was a better podcast. But yeah, thanks guys, not for going in too hard. I appreciate that and some really good insight there. Really, it's going to no, be that quite. Will be during, that will be during the season. You'll be the schoolboy, Rich. Yeah, I know, <laughs> Don't I know about that. Don't know. You'll be. Funny. <laughs> You'll, you'll be writing articles for TGU. Please enter a win, please. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I, I, you know what I said so many the other day, the best thing about this is, you know what, if Inter sell all the, all the players, at least it'll be easy to get tickets. So that's the only bonus. <laughs> okay, Jesus. I don't need another 10 years like this. I, you know, the last Milan derby I went to, Nakori was the man of the match. That's just bad. Reminders, reminders of the uh, ba- the banter eras, as, as they they like to call it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The well, I mean, like to, to put the shoe in the other foot, like obviously both you know I'm a Juve fan, but the 2010s was no fun. Just seeing Juve stroll to league after league after league. The first one was fun because Milan still had Zlatan and Thiago Silva, but when Napoli and Roma are your closest challengers and they're 4,000 points behind you. It's not like honestly, Serie A was born through the 2010s. Juve need Serie A needs a strong Milan, a strong Inter. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, no, I do understand actually. I do think it, it is, it brings more to the table, doesn't it? It is competitive and it's, um, it's, it's it also in Europe as well. And they are big clubs, big history, you know, all three teams we've just mentioned there. And, you know, it's, I thought, you know, we were certainly getting that way, but, um, I genuinely, I, I, I genuinely fear for Surrey sides in Europe next season. Honestly, the way the transfer window is going, uh, I don't know how Milan actually might be okay. Juve, I don't know, Inter, depending on who, who's left come the end mm-hmm. of August. Atalanta, for me, they're selling one player too many. It seems Ilicic now is going to Milan. Mm. And then they sold Romero. I don't know. I, honestly, I think Italian sides could get another paste in, in the Champions League next year. That's the, sets up the topic of uh, discussion nicely for the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will Italian sides get a pasting in Europe? <laughs> you watch this, it'll all change. Lukaku will stay. Messi will go to Napoli. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Inter, Inter's being smart. Inter know now, right? Messi's leaving Barca. We'll sell Lukaku and we'll bring in Messi. <laughs> Inter, Inter knew this was going to happen about a week in advance. <laughs> oh, dear. Jesus Christ. That would, um, and yeah, I don't think that'll happen. But we will uh, we'll certainly uh, reconvene in a podcast soon. So, guys, thank you very much for your insight today. And uh, yeah, hopefully, next time we're all together on here, there'll be a bit more clarity on the situation and uh, maybe maybe I might be able to smile so 
from us here thank you for listening uh ciao for now